Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I am excited because I have with me Robert Solby. Robert is a MBA candidate at UC Berkeley Haas in the class of 2021. And today, Robert and I are going to talk about the waitlist. Robert and I are both passionate about this topic for very selfish reasons, but I can't think of someone who's more qualified to share his story about the waitlist and not only the story about the waitlist, but what he did after being on the waitlist, how he was able to get off of it, and then how he was able to navigate and learn through that experience in his time in business school. So first off, Robert, thanks so much for joining us. I always like to start with a little bit of a warm-up question. So just to start, would love to know, what was the best book that you read in 2020? First off, yeah, thanks for having me, Al, and I'm, I'm excited to chat about this topic, as you mentioned. So I will say not a huge book reader. I wish I was more of a reader, but I did read a few professional development books over the last year. And the one that I enjoyed the most was called The First 90 Days. It's by Michael Watkins. It's a pretty well-known book, and I just found it to be very insightful as I prepared to enter a new organization upon graduating from my MBA. I found it really great and got some good tactical tips and strategies to enter hitting the ground running. That's a great book. You can probably see, can't see it, but in my bookcase, that book is actually sitting there. I think it's a really valuable one and I highly recommend it. We'll make sure we put it in the show notes. Particularly great for anyone looking to onboard into a new job. Okay, so let's get started. Let's just start with what were you doing before business school and why did you initially choose to get an MBA? Sure. So before uh, business school, I worked in environmental and energy consulting, which is a pretty niche industry to work in. I worked for a very large 85,000 employee international company in the engineering and professional services space. And I really enjoyed the work that I did over those four years. I had a lot of great experience and had the opportunity to work on some pretty high profile environmental projects, which was very exciting. But when I looked ahead in my career and tried to see what the next two to three years held, I really just didn't see a path for myself, or at least a path that a path that I was excited about. And my manager and mentor at the time had moved on to a new position. And there was just a lot of uncertainty that existed for me during that time. And I did a little bit of reflecting and thought that an MBA would be a great opportunity to provide me with some unique experiences that would really help me grow both personally and professionally in my career. And so I ultimately decided that was the route that I wanted to take. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Would love to know a little bit more about what did you 
use to choose the schools that you wanted to apply to in that what were the criteria you used to figure out what is on my target list what are the most important schools where am i going to apply to business school yeah absolutely it's bringing me back uh to, to some fun times and some not so fun times but yeah so i really started thinking about what type of program i wanted to be part of and I thought about the criteria in a couple of different ways. I really thought about what type of classroom environment I wanted to be in. And for me personally, having a smaller class size was something that I was looking for. Uh, I wanted to be able to form more intimate and close relationships with my classmates. Uh, not that you cannot do that at other programs, but some are just more well-suited to create that environment amongst the class. And I wanted uh, something that was a strong cultural fit. So culture, I think, is talked about a lot when applying to MBA programs. Uh, but as you dig into each respective program, and as you uh, peel away at those layers and talk to students and faculty, you really get a sense for what the culture is like. And you know, I was really looking, again, to be part of a more intimate culture that was student-driven and really valued providing MBA students with proactive opportunities to, to get involved in different elements of not only the school, but in the community as well. And with that, I, I narrowed my school list down. I started with like 10 schools and I eventually narrowed it down to five or six schools that I would ultimately end up applying to and just rank ordered those based off of the fit for me and, and whether they were more of a competitive and like a reach school or a school that I thought I would be very much a target candidate for and the programs for which I thought I might have been a little bit of a reach uh, I wanted to focus on those early on and apply round one just to give myself ample time and opportunity over the summer to prepare those applications that were due in September. So I split my applications up, uh, three round one and three round two applications. Thanks for sharing that. So this podcast is about the wait list. So spoiler alert, uh, you ended up on the wait list. Could you talk to me a little bit more about what that was like? Obviously, some of the mechanics behind it and the logistics behind it, but also how did that feel and what was that experience like? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I knew that going into my application that the waitlist was a possibility. I had, I would say, a fine GMAT test score, but I was certainly not at the level that I wanted to be at to be competitive across all of my all of my target schools applied and and I was waitlisted at Berkeley Haas after round one in December. So I got that news in December. And truthfully, I was feeling a lot of mixed emotions at that time. Haas candidly was my number one choice. And it was a, a school and a program that I felt would be a very great fit for, for me and my MBA journey. And so it was a bit bittersweet. I was very excited to be still considered 
Um, a little bit bummed that I wasn't accepted right off the bat, but I think that for my particular situation, I was waitlisted without having been interviewed. And so a unique position to be in. I actually didn't know that programs put students on the wait list uh, without interviewing them. So that was a little bit surprising for me. But when I think back to finding out about that waitlist decision, I, I felt hopeful because personally, I'm good in interpersonal settings and interviews are more of a strength of mine. And so I was really looking forward to putting my head down and preparing uh, to go do that interview, which ultimately occurred in early, early February of uh, 2019. Thanks for the timeline. That's helpful context. So you mentioned that you felt like maybe your GMAT was a little bit lower. You also mentioned that you had yet to interview, so you had that opportunity as well. But there are other things that when you're on the wait list, you have the ability to do in order to put your best foot forward and to strengthen that application. Could you talk about some of the other things that you did while you were on the wait list that perhaps helped you move forward and eventually helped you get off the wait list and get that admission? Yeah. So I really spent a lot of time talking to current students at Haas in order to prepare for the interview. That was going to be my primary focus in the month of January. But aside from the interview, I took some time to really reflect on my application at a holistic level, like similar to how admissions committees take a look at many MBA applications. And so I went through each element of my application, whether it was the GMAT, the essays, my, my undergraduate GPA, my letters of recommendation, my background and quantitative skill set. So I really reflected on each of those and realized areas that I could improve upon to, to really illustrate a thoughtful approach to improving my candidacy. And I think that was one of the very key things that I did early on that helped helped me set up my path forward. I ended up taking a look at my application and saying, okay, I'm very happy with my application essays. However, I don't think that I had the opportunity in those essays to really explain uh, a very personal part of my journey and community service. And I actually reached out to some of the community service members that I worked with, some of the families that I worked with volunteering. And, and I asked for an additional letter of recommendation from one of these individuals that could really help the admissions committee see the tangible impact that I was having in my community and how I was affecting others by volunteering. And I think that was strategically beneficial because the application essays that I wrote were only two, 300 word essays. And so you really can't fit a lot of this wonderful context into those essays. And so by having this additional letter of recommendation that came from my personal life, as opposed to my professional experiences, I think it allowed the admissions committee to get to see another side of Robert Solby and a side that really aligned with Haas's core values and culture. 
that was the first thing that I did. The second thing that I did was I realized that my quantitative background could definitely be improved. And so I wanted to demonstrate to the admissions committee that I could handle the quantitative rigor of a full-time MBA program. And so I ultimately decided to enroll and take a quantitative methods course. I think it was through Harvard Extension. It certainly doesn't have to be through them, but I wanted to, again, demonstrate that I could handle the quantitative rigor of a MBA program. And so those were the two things that I did tactically. And then I subsequently provided those updates to the admissions committee. That's definitely helpful context. I think what stands out when I hear what you're talking about is that not only did you take to heart the feedback you were getting or what you were sensing, but then you responded in a way that demonstrated to the admissions committee that you had heard them and that you were providing updates in a way that could augment the application that you already put forward. Obviously, at the end of the day, the name of the game for the waitlist is abiding by the rules that the school sets and you have to stay within those bounds. But to the degree that you can, I think what stands out to me is that you made sure that you addressed any potential challenge or shortcoming in your application, which I think shows the admissions committee that number one, you're aware and self-reflective enough to understand how you can improve. But number two, that you're thoughtful and caring enough that you're putting that forward, which I think puts you in a good light. Yeah, absolutely. And just to add to that, like what you said about following the rules of the waitlist, I think uh, it can be a little bit, a little bit frustrating at times on the waitlist because you send these updates and it goes into this hole of of nothingness, and that and you don't really get to see behind the curtains what's going on. But what I thought helped me was maintaining a consistent thread of communications with the admissions committee, not overwhelming them with weekly updates, very thoughtful and strategic updates to reiterate how excited and passionate I was about attending Haas, but also showing them that I was being thoughtful about improving my candidacy. I think sometimes prospective students um, are quick to simply reiterate their excitement, but admissions committees really want to see that students are being thoughtful about how they're improving their candidacy and not uh, providing updates to the admissions committee with repetitive information. So that's one thing that I thought probably helped me out. So I just had another quick process question. Could you talk a little bit about what happened after your interview? So it sounds like you interviewed in in February, but you didn't hear again until maybe the summer. And so what went on during that time frame? Yeah, sure. So I was actually, I, I continued to stay on the wait list after the round two decisions came out from Haas. And as funny as this sounds, I was actually a little bit more disappointed that I remained on the wait list after my interview because I felt really strong about how it went. And I really connected with uh, the program and answered, I think, the questions in, in a very prepared manner. And so was disappointed after the round two decisions came out. But that's ultimately when I decided to obtain that second 
letter of recommendation and enroll in the quantitative workshop class. And that was in, I believe like the March timeframe, some, sometime early spring. And so after I did those two things, I provided an update to the admissions committee, hoping to improve my candidacy. And from there, I just held my breath and every month and a half, I sent an email update to the admissions committee. And at that point, I didn't have more to add necessarily to improve my candidacy. It was more of a, hey, I'm still here. And I just want to let you know that Haas is still the program that I want to be part of and the family that I want to be part of. So just wanted to reiterate that. And at that point, I just kind of held on tight. And it was a wild journey to say the least at the end of at the end of round three when I was still on the wait list and I actually decided to put a deposit down at another MBA program and I was very excited about the opportunity but to be very frank I was still in my heart holding on to to hope that I would get accepted to Haas and in mid-June, I sent one last email update to the admissions committee, just you know, saying, hey, I know it's late in the game here, but I this is where I want to be, and I, I hope that if there's an opportunity, I will 100% take it. And so I think showing that passion and that continued friendly persistence and excitement and letting them know that, hey, if I did get an offer, I would 100% take it. I think that kind of last ditch effort and consistency paid off and I was ultimately accepted, which was such great news on July 11th, 2019. So very late in the process, but it was such a wonderful feeling and, and I was just really grateful and humbled to have the opportunity for all that work to pay off. And I was just really overjoyed to be joining the Haas family at that point. The hard work paid off, the persistence paid off, and certainly I think things like being friendly, being attentive, and being excited and demonstrating that are all, they're simple things, but I do think they go a long way. At the end of the day, admissions officers want people on the wait list to admit that want to be there, and I think that you showed that. And I like the story because it's something that I personally can relate to, as I think we've talked about. I was actually waitlisted at five schools all five schools that I applied to. But in addition to that, I actually moved down to Chapel Hill and was still on the wait list while I was at Fuqua. And I literally moved to an area where I was literally four miles away from Chapel Hill and four miles away from Fuqua because I was on the wait list up until uh, that final day. It didn't get off the wait list, ended up going to UNC instead, and the rest is history. But I can definitely appreciate the story that you had and everything you're saying, because it's something that I felt as well. And because I was on the wait list, one of the things I've thought about, and I wanted to ask you about, if you think about the MBA admissions process, there are things that were, are within your control. And then there's a whole slew of things that are not within your control. You can't control how many people get accepted. You can't control how many people decide to accept the offer. You can't control what they decide the waitlist yield is going to be. How did you manage that, particularly with those things that you can't control, just knowing how hard you worked to try to get into business school? 
Is that something that you thought about or weighed on you at all? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm bringing myself back to those few months. And I think it was a combination of hopefulness, excitement, but also nervousness at the ambiguity of it all. But I think I really tried to maintain the attitude that I will end up where I belong, whether that's at Haas or another MBA program, and that no matter where I ended up, I would make the most of my MBA experience. I know it's easy to have that attitude in hindsight because it did work out, but I do remember being in that situation and just trying to view the glass as half full that I even had this opportunity to attend an MBA program. And I will say one thing that really helped me deal with the ambiguity of it all, when I provided these email updates to the admissions committee, the first email update I sent was sent to a general email address, right? It was Haas admissions, whatever the case is. And I think most programs have this general email. And I actually received a response from a member that worked on the admissions committee at the time. And for the rest of my time on the wait list, I would correspond with him directly as opposed to sending my updates to that general email address. And I'm not sure truly what impact that had on my ultimate acceptance, but if I had to really guess, I think that it helped me. I think that forming more of a rapport and a personal relationship with the individual in the admissions committee and having an actual human being see how consistent and excited I was being about the program ultimately helped the domino fall in my direction come July when they had that spot open up. And so I think part of that was a little bit of luck. I think uh, part of it was me just holding on to, to that hope and saying, Hey, you're my guy. I'm going to try and correspond with the same person to form that relationship. But that would be just some advice that I have, if that's possible, if you find yourself in that situation and you're able to talk to the same person and start forming that relationship, I would definitely encourage uh, you to do so. So one other thing I wanted to ask you about, Robert, was I would love to know, how do you think being waitlisted impacted you in your time during your first year of business school or just in business school in general? It did. It did impact me a little bit more than I was maybe expecting. And I would characterize myself as an extrovert, a people person. I could dive into different social settings uh, without much stress or anxiety. But when I arrived at Haas, I noticed that a lot of the students already knew each other from different summer events and admitted students weekends and that was something that I didn't have. I didn't have those connections. And I felt a little bit out of place at first, kind of like outside of the tribe, if you will, for a little bit. And I definitely felt some imposter syndrome. Is this really where I belong? And is this the right experience for me? And I think as I dove into different Haas opportunities 
and I got to know my classmates a little bit better, I realized that um, many other students were in my same shoes, that they had been waitlisted, they had ultimately been accepted, and I just got lost in how impressive everybody was. There are students from all over the world that have such amazing and impactful experiences. And I, I didn't necessarily feel like I had that, but I think that once I realized that I brought other things to the table and that I did belong in this community, everybody was, was so welcoming and supportive of my story that I just shared about the waitlist, And they were excited to have me there. And that really just made me feel at home and it confirmed my decision to ultimately attend Haas. And while it affected me a little bit at first, which I think is quite natural, it, it ended pretty quickly once I became overwhelmed with all the activities of a first year fall MBA student. I appreciate your honesty in that answer. And one of the things that strikes me about what you're saying is it mirrors a theme that I hear from lots of MBA students. And I think I felt this very much like you because I was waitlisted but others feel it in different ways. And that's that feeling of imposter syndrome, of being able to look to the left and the right and to wonder if you measure up and to wonder if you belong and to wonder if what you did is just as equal in terms of the weight as your other classmates. And I think we feel that, felt it as weightless did candidates because we didn't get in the same way as other people did, but other people might feel it in, in other different ways. And as I look back on that experience, as difficult as it was, as humbling as it was, as much imposter syndrome that I felt particularly early on, I do feel that I did learn from it and it gave me some lessons and some things to take with me moving forward. And I would love to know maybe from your perspective, what do you think being on the wait list, what did that experience help teach you? Or what did you learn from that? Even if it was in fact a difficult experience? Yeah, I think... One one element of my experience that kind of resonates most strongly with me, I remember people and, and by people and my classmates early in the fall having a very clear sense of what they wanted to do, what they wanted to recruit for, uh, whether that was consulting or tech or banking. They seemed to know exactly their path forward. And I was coming in after being on the wait list for seven months. And I honestly had no idea what I wanted to do. And I thought, wow, like all of my peers have these paths forward and they, they know what they want. And I think the reality of the situation is that is not the case for a majority of students. I think there, there are can be pressures to recruit for some of the more traditional uh, career paths, whether that be consulting or, or banking or tech. But what I learned from that experience is that it's okay to live in the middle for a little while, at least. It's okay to take those first couple months and have some self-exploration and to talk to your career management coaches about, hey, what excites you? What are you passionate about professionally? What are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And so those few months of not knowing what I wanted to do, although I felt some imposter syndrome, 
I think that those months were actually a very crucial part of my journey. And, and I needed that time to self-reflect in order to get to the position that I'm in today. And so that's something that I think was a really valuable lesson for me was to, to be okay living in the middle for a little while and not letting that stress you out too much or cause you more imposter syndrome. So very humbled by that experience and a good lesson for me moving forward. I think those are great lessons to learn. Robert, uh, thanks so much for joining today. As we wrap, maybe just to close here, what advice do you have? We're shooting this in January. Some folks are have gotten waitlisted. They will get waitlisted coming up. What advice do you have for folks who are on the waitlist in terms of how they can navigate forward, both in terms of learning from the experience, but also obviously in getting to a positive outcome? Sure. I would say the first thing is to take some time to reflect on your application and to really be thoughtful about the updates that you're going to provide the admissions committee. I think that's first and foremost, the most important uh, strategic tactic that you can take is to not simply bombard the admissions committee with updates, but really pick and choose in a thoughtful, strategic manner what you want to share with them that's new, that will show them a different perspective about your candidacy. And the second thing that I can take from my own personal experience is just to not give up hope. And I know that sounds a little cliche and in hindsight, it it did work out in my particular case, but July is a very late time to be admitted. And it, and I think there were several times along, along the way where I could have maybe given up or not chosen to send that additional update, reiterating my excitement for the Haas program. And so my second piece of advice is just remain hopeful and be persistent in a friendly way and in an excited way. And you will definitely end up where, where you belong in your MBA journey. Robert Solby, thank you so much for joining today, for sharing a little bit of your experience in terms of being waitlisted and getting off the waitlist at UC Berkeley Haas and how you've been able to thrive through that and what you've learned from the experience. I appreciate you sharing your wisdom. Yeah, thanks for having me, Al. Best of luck, everybody. Hi, everyone. Al D here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.